0: Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, today we're in session seven of our study in First Peter, and we're discussing chapter three, verses one through 12. And it says, In the same way, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over, without a word, by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good, and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So, verse 1 begins with the phrase, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, in the same way is what, we may ask ourselves. Well, in order to figure that out, we have to look back at the previous verses to determine what Peter means when he says, in the same way. And now, we also have to remember that this was a letter that Peter was writing. So it would have been read in one sitting. I mean, it would have been read all at one time. So it would have been obvious to his audience what he meant by in the same way. But if we look back at chapter two, we see that God has established standards for living in a community, standards for living in the workplace, standards for living in church, and now standards for living in the home. And in every situation, it involves submission. But why is submission so important? I mean, why does Peter repeatedly talk about submission in every one of these situations? Well, I think because it's so antithetical to our human nature. I mean, what was the first sin ever committed? Refusal to submit to God's authority. Submission does not come naturally for us. And also, the reason why we need to submit to authorities from verse 213 and submit to our employers from verse 218 and now submit to our own husbands is ultimately because of our obedience and submission to God. We choose to submit to them because we've already chosen to submit ourselves to God. And willingly placing ourselves under God's authority and standard, we mirror what Jesus himself did in verse 223. Rather than retaliating when accused and insulted, he entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. He didn't try to argue his case or get revenge. He trusted God to work it out. And this is the way that we should live as wives, according to today's passage. In the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives. You see, we don't always have to prove our point. We don't always have to argue our case. There are times when we should just be quiet and by our behavior, the way we live, the text says, give God room to do his work. And this applies to believing and unbelieving husbands. Even a Christian husband can be drawn closer to the Lord by observing the godly behavior of his wife. In verses three and four, it says don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So does this mean that we shouldn't wear nice clothes and makeup and jewelry? Well, no, but what is our focus? I mean, are we being overly focused on how we look? Our outward appearance. So much of our culture focuses on physical appearance, and what is true today was also true back then. In Isaiah 3 verses 16 through 18, it says, "The Lord says the women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, striding along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will bring sores on the heads of the women of Zion." the Lord will make their scalps bald. In that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and headbands and crescent necklaces, the earrings and bracelets and veils, the headdresses and anklets and sashes, the perfume bottles and charms, the signet rings and nose rings, the fine robes and capes and cloaks, the purses and mirrors, the linen garments and tiaras and shawls. You see, these women were overly focused on outward appearance. They derived their entire self-worth from how they looked. But according to verse 4, true beauty comes from what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. A gentle and quiet spirit is worth a lot to God. Our outward appearance is going to fade, but our inward beauty would will because that's where the Spirit of God resides. I mean, think for a moment about how much time we spend getting dressed and ready in the morning versus how much time we spend in prayer and Bible reading. Matthew Henry makes the point that the more we use the ornamental things on the body, like clothes and jewelry, the older and more faded and broken they become. But the more our faith is used, the brighter and stronger and better it becomes. So we shouldn't worry if we don't look like we used to or don't look like a magazine cover, because God sees what's important, our hearts, and we are of great worth to him. And in verses 5 and 6, we see an example of how wives should conduct themselves. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good, and do not fear any intimidation. So we should follow the examples of the holy women from the past who put their hope in God. You see, Christianity was a new concept in the first century. It establishes Jesus as Savior and God. It provides for the believer freedom from the penalty of sin and a rebirth into a living hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you can see how there might have been the tendency to want to throw out the Old Testament, all the things from the past, all the things that they learned from it. But Peter seems to be making the point that having a faith in Jesus as Savior does not negate the Old Testament. The holy women of the Old Testament, like Sarah, they still serve as examples of how we should live today. They place their hope in God, not in their abilities or their appearance. And if we, too, place our hope fully and completely in God, then our focus will be on nurturing our inner selves and seeing the importance of glorifying God through it. And we follow the example set by the holy women of the past when we do as verse 6 says, do what is good and don't fear intimidation. Maybe someone fears submitting to their own husband because they fear being taken advantage of, or they won't feel like a strong, independent person anymore. Or a person may feel like they won't be accepted or seen as attractive if they focus more on their relationship with Christ than their outward appearance. But God tells us clearly, we don't have to fear what others think of us, because that is not what defines us. We are defined by Jesus, and we are accepted and loved, And we are heirs to the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 7, God also gives instructions to husbands on how to conduct themselves. When he says husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So this verse pretty much puts to rest the idea that women should submit to men because women are inferior. Incidentally, this verse does not say that women should submit to men. It says wives should submit to their own husbands for the family unit to function properly in a godly way. And here again, Peter uses the phrase in the same way. And I believe once again, he could be referring to Jesus. Just as Jesus submitted himself to his father's plan, And just as Jesus is considerate and understanding, husbands should live in an understanding way, which means live a lifestyle of understanding, not just at certain times. Husbands should cultivate a spirit of understanding and consideration inside the home. From the Greek, it means knowledge. Husbands should be continually getting to know their wives. Don't assume you'll never understand her and give up, because the more you try, the more you learn. Husbands should also show their wives honor because wives are co-heirs, equal with regard to the kingdom of God. The word honor from the Greek means precious or value. It also means the honor which one has by reason of rank. So husbands should consider their wives as precious and valuable because of their position. They are also heirs to God's kingdom. Galatians 3:28 says there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male or female for you all are one in Christ Jesus so women and men wives and husbands receive the same gifts of eternal life and grace from God there is no hierarchy in a marriage husbands and wives are equal so when Peter refers to wives as a weaker partner, it doesn't mean that wives are weaker intellectually or spiritually. Weaker in this context does not mean inferior. And again, it's important to understand the audience in which Peter is addressing and the times in which they lived. I mean, in the first century, women had low positions in society and in the home. They could not vote. They could not hold office. Their only value was his wives and mothers, a husband could divorce his wife for just about anything that caused offense or disfavor in his eyes. So virtually all of society at that time viewed women as weaker. So the fact that Peter's calling wives co-heirs with their husbands is monumental. But what does he mean by weaker with regard to wives? Well, some commentaries say that Peter's referring to physical strength, that women are typically physically weaker than men. But perhaps he's also making the point that although society may view wives as the weaker partner, Christian husbands shouldn't. They should honor their wives because we all have the same standing in Christ. When Greg and I got engaged, he gave me the most beautiful diamond ring— and for the first couple of weeks, I didn't even want to wash my hands with that ring on my finger. Even though diamonds are some of the most, are some of the strongest things on the planet, I treated mine like it was weak and fragile. Not because it was weak and fragile, but because it was so valuable and precious to me. I was very careful with my diamond because it was so special to me. And in the same way, husbands should be considerate and understanding with their wives just like you would with something that was precious to you. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 12, 22? Those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And we must remember that marriage is a reflection of Jesus' relationship with his people. So just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the family. Just as Christ submitted himself to his father, wives should submit to their own husbands. And just as Jesus loves and cares for and protects the church, husbands are to do the same for their wives. Now, I don't want to be overly simplistic here because there are innumerable reasons, but if you find yourself in a place where you're having trouble getting along with your spouse, it might be a worthy exercise to ask the question, Am I living a pure and reverent life before my husband? Am I exercising a gentle and quiet spirit inside my home? Or am I being understanding and considerate with my wife? Do I truly value her and honor her as my co-heir of God's grace? And again, there are many reasons for marital discord, but this might be a good place to start. Because God designed this thing called marriage. So we must trust that his way is the best way to do it. I mean, it's pretty easy to submit to a husband who honors you. And it's pretty easy to show honor for a wife who is respectful and has a gentle and quiet spirit. And how a husband treats his wife has a direct correlation to his relationship with God. Verse 6 says husbands be understanding and show honor to wives so that your prayers will not be hindered or frustrated from the Greek. Our horizontal relationships have a direct bearing on our vertical relationship and vice versa. Now, Peter closes by saying in verses eight and nine, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. So just as we should live in harmony inside the home, we should live in harmony with others outside the home. God told us in verse 2 5 that we as Christians are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Well, what makes a house strong? Well, it must have a strong foundation, and the materials used to build it must be pure, of high quality, free from impurities. So the house that God is building with us must also be built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, and the stones, the building blocks, must contain the high qualities of sympathy love compassion and humility the goal is unity among believers so that the church will be strong and thus god will be glorified and if you think this is an extreme way to live how about verse 9 instead of repaying evil with evil or insult with insult give a blessing so that you may inherit a blessing jesus also said a form of this in matthew 5:44 Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. And remember the reason for this from verse 2-12. We are examples of Christ to unbelievers, so that they may see our own good works and come to Christ themselves. Culture says to seek revenge, lash back when you're attacked. But evil is not overcome by more evil. Romans 12-21 is clear. Overcome evil with good. Now, to give a blessing means to praise or speak well of. And I believe that God understands how radical a concept this is and how difficult it is to do. And frankly, I think that's the point. It's when we're faced with tasks that are difficult and different that we're going to turn to God for help. And it's in the countercultural, indescribable actions that, that we gain the most attention. Wait a minute, that guy just cut in front of you. Why aren't you letting him have it? Or that person just slammed you on social media. Why aren't you slamming them back? It's in these moments that your faith truly shines and the strength and compassion that can only come from Jesus is made evident to a watching world. Because it's when we not only display restraint, but speak well of someone who's insulted us, that we gain what verses 10 through 12 describe. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. I love how Peter continually uses Old Testament language in a New Testament context. He's quoting from Psalm 34 here. When we give a blessing, we ourselves will be blessed. And frankly, it's because we have already been so blessed that we can bless others. I mean, we can freely give to others what they don't deserve because we have received what we don't deserve. Peter switches gears here from discussing our actions to our speech. We must keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. Because sometimes what we say can negate the good that we've done. Our actions and speech must be in harmony. We must turn away from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it. Now, why? I mean, why do we need to seek peace and why do we need to pursue after peace? Well, because it doesn't come naturally for us, does it? I mean, if you looked at your life or at the world, would you say that we are at peace? But we can live lives of peace. Peace can be found. But it's not going to be found in substances, and it's not going to be found in relationships, and it's not even going to be found from within ourselves. It can only be found in Christ. Peace can only be found in Him. Peace is cultivated when our relationship with Jesus is cultivated. And if we're seeking the Lord through Bible reading and prayer, then we're going to be better able to turn away from evil, to keep away from deceptive talk, to not return an insult with another insult. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, verse 12 tells us, and his ears are open to their prayers. I certainly want the eyes of the Lord on me, don't you? And we can take heart that, as I mentioned earlier, God understands that this is difficult for us. He knows it goes against everything our human nature and our culture is telling us. His eyes are on you when you are treated unfairly. He hears you when you pray for help from constant ridicule and bullying. And just because we are not to repay evil by doing evil back, that does not mean that evil will not be judged, that wicked people will not have to atone for their actions. Because the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I cannot imagine a worse place to be than to have the Lord against you. So God is telling us plainly that we can trust Him to take care of the injustice done to His children. Isaiah 13:11 says, "I will punish the world for evil and the wicked for their iniquity." Proverbs 11:21, "The evil man will not go unpunished." And Isaiah 3:11, "Woe to the wicked! It will go badly for him, for what he deserves will be done to him." So our challenge this week is to focus our attention on growing in sympathy and compassion and seeking peace, because that is when the true blessings will come. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.